Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Today, inshallah, we're going to be talking lots about the various different side incomes someone can make that actually work and can actually make you some money during the whole Uh, coronavirus pandemic. And I know that this is a period of time where people, I think, are going to be really, really struggling. And it might not even be fully apparent to us all yet how much more there is going to be you know, down the pipeline. But I think it's not going to get better before it gets worse. I think we're going to see worse before it gets better. Mohsin, what are your thoughts on this whole topic? Yeah, uh, Sanikum, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. Thanks for joining us, first of all. It's an interesting one. I mean, I think everyone's heard all the doom and gloom and we've all been through it over the last six months or so. My high-level thoughts are that we've kind of had the cracks papered over a little bit with the whole furlough scheme and all that kind of stuff. And now, obviously, particularly in the, in the UK, but I'm sure the same you know, applies worldwide as well. Governments are trying to basically wean the economy off those temporary measures. And you know, we've already seen massive names like Boots and other massive companies who've been particularly badly affected, laying off you know, people in the thousands. And that, I think, is just the start because you know, those big corporates tend to make decisions fast and early for redundancies at least. Yeah. Um, but remember that the backbone of the economy is SMEs, uh, you know, these small businesses who might not necessarily have all the information to hand right now to be able to make those decisions. So unfortunately, I think it's just one of those realities that we have to face. These are probably once in a lifetime uh, situations that we'll look back on when we're a lot older. And unfortunately, I think it's going to mean lots of economic downturn, um, lots of layoffs and things like that. And I think that if you accept that as a reality and you accept that we can do things in advance uh, to prepare for that, then inshallah, you know, with Allah's help, we can mitigate that as much as possible. Here, here. So guys, what we're going to do is try and add a lot of value over the next hour or so on this topic. Um, we're going to have seven different ideas that we have for side incomes that actually work for people. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about high level principles that I think, you know, really underpin the whole area of side incomes. And Mohsen, you know, great to hear your thoughts on this as well. But for me, the very first one is to go for the simple stuff first. And what I mean by that is that people who 
you know, when you go for a side income, this is necessarily quite an entrepreneurial step that you're taking. And for many people, being entrepreneurial and coming up with your own kind of business of sorts will be the first time that you're doing that. And so, you know, you might not necessarily have the experience there to fall back on. And you might think that what I need to do as a business is something cool or something that I thought of when I was a kid, I thought I might do that one day or something that I've seen on TV or one of my friends did it quite successfully and not go for the simple stuff that you can do. And to give you a really concrete example of this, and I'm not sure, you know, I'll have to get my dad's forgiveness after this, but he's a surgeon and uh, he loves, you know, dreaming up all sorts of ideas to do businesses with. And, um, you know, I've always said to him that why don't you go for a circumcision clinic or because he's a urologist, or why don't you go for some kind of like surgical kind of thing that you can do on the side, which is really easy and you're well established there. But I think for him, the business aspect, you know, it's a little bit about having some fun as well. But that would be a classic example of going for the simple stuff that's really just in front of your face first, and starting from there and, and scaling up. Mohsin, what other overarching principles do you think are really important for this topic? Yeah, I think one of the things that people miss a lot is that, you know, these things take time. And to be honest, we only need to look at ourselves, right? We started IFG not really knowing what it was going to become and this was back in 2015 and we were just kind of writing and things just kind of snowball and i think that's one lesson uh, particularly for anyone watching that's you know quite young if you're kind of like 20s to 30s i think you kind of miss this point as well and it's something that you know i think we've really realized as well over the last few years that actually the more time you just put into something the more actually happens as long as you're particularly consistent with the effort that you're putting in there. So I think that would be my thought here that, you know, just understand that you need to be consistent about these things and you need to give it the time. There's a famous graphic, which, you know, I'll try and relay as best I can, which is about there's that point where you're just about to give up. And if you'd have just carried on just a little bit more, that was the point of success. So yeah. it's weighing up really versus carrying on and putting good effort into something that just isn't going to work. That's also a judgment call that you have to make. Agreed. Agreed completely. And I guess the final thing before we actually dive into the kind of strategies that we can be deploying is make sure that you are uh, surrounding yourself with good people, successful people, and you get really good at where you take your information from. In a way, it's similar to you know, where you take your Islamic knowledge from or who you turn to for fatawa, right? Uh, You don't want to be taking it from some, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry. You want to be taking it from someone who, you know, has experience in this area, who you trust and has actually successfully done it. And by that, what I'm kind of, I guess, covertly saying is please just don't fall fall for the scams uh, of people selling get rich quick schemes online mlm schemes you know you can sit at home and you know you've got a great business and you know you just give us 500 pounds or a thousand pounds and you know after that it'll be plain sailing just please just watch out for that people like that uh, who are selling stuff like that are um, preying on people's vulnerability and it really isn't something that you know a savvy muslim entrepreneur frankly trying to set up a side income should be falling foul of if they are aware of it so with that perhaps we dive in and get into these uh, side incomes so we've come up with six different strategies so the first thing to say is that there are a whole load of 
strategies that are slightly stale now. So things like rent to rent was a strategy that was very popular and people did quite well from it for a number of years. And so for people who aren't familiar with rent to rent, it's this concept of renting a property and then subletting that down to individual people that perhaps you rent a house and you sublet the different rooms out to the different people and you make a profit on the basis of that because individual rooms might rent out for a higher price and overall you know you're going to get a profit relative to the rent you are paying so you might pay two thousand pounds for a house but overall you make three thousand pounds from letting out the rooms and that's a kind of easy way of making some money without necessarily putting down a lot of money in cash now that was and you know continues to be in some places quite a successful strategy the reason why we're a bit wary of it right now is for a few reasons firstly because with coronavirus i think landlords and estate agents are particularly um, sensitive around who they give their properties to and they want to just make sure that it's as stable as possible landlords and estate agents are going through a lot of hard times right now as well and with um, areas like London and Manchester and Birmingham, where this kind of strategy is particularly uh, effective because you have the potential to do that, you know, the house thing and, and rent out the rooms because house prices are so high and you know, rents are so high. Because there is uh, such a dense concentration in a few cities where the strategy can work, estate agents have just been flooded with people trying it on with them. And landlords don't like it, estate agents don't like it. So to actually get yourself a property where this works is a bit tricky these days. And I think from the conversations I've had with people who've tried it, it's proven to be a little bit of a kind of fool's errand for them. So I would stay away from probably things like that at the current uh, moment in time. But there are things that I think would be really, really strong alternatives to consider. So why don't we consider one of the really cool ones first, which is buying yourself a small business. And uh, Sheikh al-Islam Mohsin Patel, who's uh, sat across the screen from me, is one of the pioneers in IFG circles of this whole strategy. Mohsin, over to you. What have you been up to and uh, how can people get into this whole space? Yeah, so, I mean, small businesses isn't something that immediately comes to mind, but we thought it'd be really useful to share what we've been kind of learning over the last couple of years on small businesses and to give you some context small businesses are the kinds of things that you know they're not very glamorous to be honest with you they're often set up in industrial parks around the country or it's a kind of mom and pop type thing where they've got the stock in the garage or in a spare bedroom and they're selling stuff on a website um, pretty small time stuff but actually when you look through it you realize that there are some very nice, very successful, uh, and in many cases, very, very profitable businesses that are up and down the country, often hidden away in pockets that you wouldn't necessarily even think about. And the beauty with these small businesses is that because they are owner managed, meaning the people who uh, kind of founded it and uh, run it on a day-to-day, -day, they are the people that are running it on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're not talking about big corporations with employees. We're talking very much about mom and pop type businesses. The beauty with them is that things happen to these people and not in a bad way, but they retire, they get bored of their business after, you know, 20 years of doing it, or they need to get their hands on some cash or, you know, 
unfortunately some people do fall ill and things like that and what that means is that there is a market for these small businesses because you know these guys they want to they don't just want to close it down if you've spent 20 years building up a business that is trading under a website and you are able to get it to a point where it's making i don't know 50,000 pounds in profit a year you don't just want to shut that down overnight you want to uh, a realize some of the value of you having built up that name and that brand and b uh, more kind of on the emotional side you want to then pass that business on uh, and sell it to somebody that's actually going to do something you know decent with it and carry on the good name that you have built up and in that particular small business market it's a strange sort of market because it lends itself really well to people like you and me uh, because these businesses they're not big enough for you know big institutional players or investors because they don't want to get their hands dirty running a business it's far too small for them but at the same time it's too big probably for you know just every tom dick and harry to actually go and uh, acquire these businesses so it's in this sweet spot where if you are somebody with the confidence to run your own business uh, the capital to actually you know buy some of these things i'll talk a bit more about capital shortly um then you can bag yourself a really really good deal um my experience of the market is that you because these sellers are effectively distressed sellers they really want to get rid of their businesses uh, and they're motivated to get rid of them you can actually pick up these businesses at three times net profit two times net profit even perhaps one times net profit meaning that you recoup your investment within one two or three years depending on the multiple that you buy um so for example for a business that's making 50,000 pounds net profit you might be able to pick it up for 100 grand or even 75 grand if if you're lucky or 50 grand if you're even luckier um and the point is that when you think about that in pure investment terms that's a great investment because you're recouping your money in a very short space of time but i think crucially for the purposes of you know this webinar it's also about protection because what you're doing effectively is taking away your reliance on your job as an income stream and kind of putting it in your control you know you will be acquiring something that is running that is operational that's getting orders every day and you can then obviously you know grow that business as much as your capacity will allow and uh, in terms of you know the capital outlay for these things depending on the person every what i always say to people is every deal is just a product of its circumstances you know if i'm selling my business which is making 50,000 net profit and i'm in a strong position because i don't need to sell uh, i've got you know i'm perfectly fine running it then you know i will probably bargain quite hard i'll probably hold out for 150k but if i'm moving to australia in 2 months and i want this off my hands frankly i'll probably take 75k if you are serious about it so you know there are some really really good deals to be had um and you know you can search online for kind of small businesses for sale um there's a lot of work to do in terms of diligencing and making sure that it is a genuine real opportunity but i guess that's a completely separate discussion so you know have a look online for small business for sale there are also websites like flipper.com f l i p p a.com which specialize really in websites that are for sale and you also have uh co companies like empireflippers.com which i also hear good things about 
so you know you can source a lot of these opportunities online and also keep a keep an ear out offline as well um, because there'll be people in your network that might have these types of small businesses uh, and you could potentially do a deal with them and remember the thing i said about distressed sellers as well because you know sometimes if somebody is really distressed uh, they might say to you that look take the business take over the running and pay me back from the profits of the business so you could actually pick up a business without any capital outlay you just need to take over the operations that's really interesting stuff Mohsin so uh, for people who are thinking hang on a minute I don't have 150 grand uh, if I had 150 grand then um, I wouldn't need a side income um, I mean and, and I know that you know that you picked up your um, businesses for 5 10 15 20 grand right which I think is much more affordable for people. So do you want to kind of talk about, you know, where you bought your business, what kind of things you were looking for and how you went about doing your due diligence? Because, the other, you know, the other thing is, you know, how do I know if Gary from Oldham, uh, who's selling me uh, some kind of shoemaking business is actually, you know, he's legit or not? Yeah, good questions. The businesses that I've bought um, have ranged from they're all sub 50k and in terms of where i found them there are loads of websites online so if you search like i don't know small businesses for sale you'll see companies like dalton's uh, business you'll see like right biz you'll see a whole host of them and the key with them it's hard because you know the actual good opportunities that come up are relatively rare but in terms of diligencing i think i look for a few key things i think the very very key thing to look at just like on the face of it is you know does this look like a good genuine sustainable business so you'll see like a lot of listings like oh startup website start making money tomorrow you know one thousand pounds it's all fully set up and ready to go that's not like a you know a running genuine business that's been making money for 20 years uh, that's relying on you not knowing enough about web design and basically shelling out a grand for just a shell website. So you need to look first, is this like a, is this a genuine opportunity? Has this person uh, said things like, oh, we've had this for 20 years. These are, you know, the profit figures. You may not get the profit figures on the initial listing. You'll have to kind of inquire about that. Uh, but you should be able to get a sense of, is this just a legit business? Does it sound like it's a legit business? That's kind of the sense check number one. Sense check number two, is when you kind of ask for more information from the broker you should be asking things like you know who are the sellers why are they selling and you should also get a sense of the accounts as well so just look at the actual numbers and when you look at the numbers you should be able to see consistently over the last maybe three years or so that revenues are you know pretty steady profit figures are pretty steady don't be put off by declining revenues because sometimes owners they get tired and they get bored and they stop putting effort into their business but you know you can turn these things around quite quickly and, and actually that's your opportunity right yeah. and the other key key thing is just understand the sellers so if you get to the point where you then enter into a discussion with the sellers uh, you might do an initial kind of due diligence call I spend probably the first 15 minutes of that call just understanding the seller. Because once you understand the seller, it helps your relationship with them. It helps you to understand their motivations for selling. And it means then that, you know, if it does come to you giving an offer 
for this business, you can structure it in a way that you know works for them. To give my earlier example, if I'm moving to Australia in two months and I just want my hands on the cash, there's no point saying to me that, oh, you know, let's do a deal where I pay installments over 12 months because that's not it's not going to work for me. I'd rather take a lower figure and have the cash up front. So you, you need to understand that kind of thing. And then it's a case really of delving deeper into the financials, maybe speaking to an accountant or somebody that can you know, give you a good sense check of these things, and then firing over all your due diligence questions. Just make sure you understand the business from top to bottom, so that if you were to take over the business tomorrow, you fully understand what's going on. Brilliant. There are a whole bunch of questions around this whole topic. I want to kind of crack on and then inshallah we'll pick this up towards the end so and actually if you guys want um, and if you're interested in it we could i mean we have been mulling over doing some kind of course around this whole business area and how to go about buying these things and i don't know some kind of i don't know you tell us if you think it's helpful you tell us if we should be doing something in more detail around this and we're happy to do that another kind of strategy so we, the first strategy was buy yourself a small business you know maybe buy something 5 10 15 20 30 grand and then hope to make somewhere like 10 to 20 30 grand out of it per year as an additional revenue source but obviously you know you should very much be cognizant that it will be hard work and all of the things that we're going to say here will be hard work it's not going to be easy money there is no such thing really as easy money uh, at least for for the long term it might be for a short term period of time but then after that it's hard work so the second strategy is to skill up so that you are ready to set up some kind of online consultancy some kind of online business of your own so what i mean by that is you know there are me and Mohsen obviously run Islamic Finance Guru now full time. And we have had to hire so many different people and learn so many different skills as an online business, which is where the future is these days, that you will not believe. We've had to learn how to do web design or hire people who don't know how to do web design, coding, software engineering, web development, being able to create aesthetically pleasing graphics, SEO, which is search engine optimization, people who are good at social media campaigns, people who can put you in touch with key influencers, um, people who are good at PR and have good networks there, you know, people who are good at Facebook and Google ads and you know how that whole space works. The list goes on and on and on. There is so much out there that these days that all of us can pick up and actually just develop a full-time successful business in that it's just such a vast, vast opportunity right now. When you think, when you go down a high street and you see Debenhams and the Woolworths and all of these kind of Marks and Spencers making cuts or closing down, what is actually happening here? People are not going around stark naked anymore. There is still buying and selling happening. It's all just happening online. And there's a revolution that's taking place where people are coming online. For that revolution, it needs a new class of worker. And the class of worker that it needs is all of those kind of things that I just mentioned, those and more. So I guess what I'm saying is that work out, have a look on things like Skillshare, and there's a whole bunch of Coursera and other websites like that, where you can go online and learn lots of 
things for very cheap or for free and get cracking in those fields. And it'll probably take you about three to six months or six months worth of really dedicated work for you to really get anywhere in this space. But once you do, and might you might do some free work as internships or even just volunteer for a business and just add value to that business by doing free work for them. Once you do that stuff, then you actually have a half decent business here and it's completely flexible. You're a consultant. You can do it in your own time. And, you know, I know people who set up a consultancy business and who run successful consultancy businesses during university, doing coding in particular. They got so big that they had to hire a team out in India. And the guy made, I think he was making 200K a year. And he's a university student. And he wasn't even born in this country. Like he came across here and he had to work hard. Mashallah, he's done really well for himself. So, you know, with a bit of hard work, with a bit of tenacity and with a bit of, you know, luck and dua, I think there's a huge potential here for people who are willing to stick it out. Yeah, just to extend on that, just from a pure practical point of view, if you're thinking about any of these things, generally speaking, like all these consultancy gigs, the easiest thing, I think, is to go for like web based stuff. So like pretty much all the stuff that Ibrahim was on about SEO and this, that and the other. And, you know, like the certifications are pretty cheap to free. Like I think Google have a whole suite of things that you can learn and you can pretty much become uh, like a Google certified expert in Google ads or Google analytics or whatever it might be. And, you know, they do that because they want to keep perpetuating their own products in the market. That's why they do it. But for your purposes, it means that you've then got the grounding to be able to go to businesses and say, look, I know what I'm doing in this area. Do you need any help? And I'm thinking in particular that, you know, all the kind of offline businesses that are in and around your area. So think about all the accountancy practices around you, all the dentists, all these high street businesses that are still going who have uh, or may have owners that don't necessarily have a web presence or don't really know what they're doing. You can very quickly develop a stable of clients and you're making a grand, a couple of grand, five grand a month just from these side gigs. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it also helps with your own job as well, because let's say, you know, you might think, oh, you know, I work at this for three to six months and I don't really get anywhere with it. I mean, what a waste of time. No, it's not. In this day and age, if you can do a bit of web design, if you can do a bit of this, that and the other to complement what you're already doing, that's massive. That's a real value add to a business. Like I know when we interview people to hire them, you know, like they've got coding ability or they've got, you know, some other extra ability like design. We really, really like that because we know how expensive and how much of a headache it can otherwise be. So yeah, definitely, definitely one to consider. You know, this would be probably my second option. Like if I was back at work and I was scared that I might get laid off, then I think this would be my second option for side income in terms of the ones that I've given, this would be my second option. My first option would actually be our third strategy, which is use your existing skills and work as a consultant by moonlighting. Mohsin, do you want to kind of shed a bit more light on this strategy? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, for those of you who are in uh, skilled jobs, there is a significant opportunity to kind of the thought has probably already crossed your mind about kind of doing your own thing, right? So if you're a practicing uh, solicitor, accountant, tax advisor, 
I don't know, dentist, whatever it may be, there are opportunities where you can basically do the same thing yourself. For some professions, you can't really moonlight for, you know, might be kind of regulatory reasons or all kinds of reasons. But for many professions, if you're a software engineer, if you're a web developer, you're a, I don't know, video editor at a company or something like that, these are all things that you know, if you've got people that are willing to pay you, you can do them in your evenings and weekends. And I know that we did some of this back when we were lawyers. And, you know, I think often people get a bit worried about moonlighting because it's kind of frowned upon. But I think our view on it is that as long as it's, you know, legal, and as long as you are doing the best service by your clients. So, you know, you've got the necessary kind of company structures in place. And, you know, you've got if it's you know if you're an accountant or something then you've got the relevant indemnity insurance and stuff like that then i don't see any reason why you wouldn't start building up your stable of clients because that's the thing which if you wanted to uh, later down the line could lead you to setting up your own firm i mean we know somebody for example who was at one of the big four accountancy firms he spent probably the last couple of years or so just slowly building up a sideline and, you know, I think just last week he left his, his full time job because he's now got the confidence to be able to do that, having spent kind of, you know, two years developing that business development side of things and having the confidence to go out and get clients. So I think moonlighting is a really good way to kind of get started on your entrepreneurship journey as well. For sure. For sure. We did it ourselves, right, for a number of years doing random like legal consultancy gigs and I think it's a great way of, you know, harnessing your skill set, but also harnessing the networks and the resources you have. Like, you know, when you're a, a junior lawyer, you know, doing your own gig on the side, it just is very helpful to have a whole law firm at your disposal in terms of people that you can ask questions and books that you can read and what have you. And it also, I think it develops you in your career as well, interestingly enough because you're then uh, for the first time managing clients, which typically you wouldn't be really allowed to do yourself until you're much more senior. So I think it's really helpful from that perspective as well. You're in your profession for a reason, right? Typically you like it or you're good at it. So it makes sense. And I think that's the one I would probably go for if I went for it. Then we've got strategy number four, which is developing a side business. So let me update this the screen so you can see it. This is one that is very close to our heart, right? Because IFG um, essentially was this. When we say a side business, I mean, how is this different from an online consultancy or moonlighting and what have you? All of these things are outside businesses. What I mean by a side business is just something very different to a consultancy, something very different to selling your time for money and actually doing a full-on business that is different to that, selling some kind of product where it's not necessarily you selling time and services, it's much more you selling stuff. So there are many examples that I can think of. For example, you know, people in my family are selling stuff on Amazon. That is a side business because it's not really a consultancy. They've gone ahead and created a product 
on the internet and then worked with people in China to produce it and then worked with, you know, the Amazon, you know, sellers platform and got that whole thing integrated fully. So now they're just selling on Amazon and it's uh, fairly low touch from their perspective. And then with IFG and many other blog entrepreneurs, if you want to think of them that way, that's another really viable strategy. So what do I mean by blog entrepreneurs? Well, people who have a passion for a particular area and they write about it, they do videos on it, they're really interested in this particular niche area and they become an authority in it after a while. And then after a while, because they have a niche audience that really respects them and appreciates what they're doing and they think that there is value in what they're up to, they get a whole range of monetizing opportunities. So to give you an example, Coindesk is a Bitcoin and cryptocurrency website. And the way they monetize, they've got a whole lot of content around cryptocurrency and that brings lots of traffic to them. But the way they monetize is they then create events or they might carry some ads or they might do some kind of cryptocurrency course. There's so many different ways that they can really effectively monetize once they have that audience and they have that traffic. And to do this sort of thing will take a bit of time because you know you need time to write this content, you need time to for the reputation to bed in, but you need time for your for you to learn as well what you're up to. Sure. Uh, a good question by no 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 five one two. I like your name. Although I think it should be yes, 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 five one two. It's a good question from you on what can you do if your employment contract restricts moonlighting and requires you to obtain approval from board of directors? And I guess it might also restrict you from doing a side business or anything. Now, I've been lucky in that my contracts have not said that, which was amazing, very, very lucky. There are a few different ways of going about this. The first is you get lucky. The second is you have a chat with the relevant people and just make them aware. If you think that it's going to materially impact on your work. Uh, and the third is, I think that you're just doing it in your own time on the weekends and what have you. It's nothing to do with work and you just kind of treat it that way. Now, if it becomes significantly large and it does start impeding on work, then of course you need to have that conversation. But I think with this whole thing, maybe another principle to chuck in is be brave. This is what being an entrepreneur is about. I have had to be on, I uh, love this story, and Mohsen has heard this many times, he knows what's coming. I've been at times on the TFL rail into work with two mobile phones to my ears, with Mohsen leading a call on one and me on mute, and a senior guy at work leading a call on, on the other and me on mute on both, and just coming going into work. And people in the tube station and the TFL rail were thinking, what on earth is this guy? Of course, that's the point where it's unsustainable, right? That's the point where you have to make a decision. And that's where we ultimately decided we were going to go full time on Islamic Finance Guru. But actually, you know, we were doing all sorts of side hustles from 2016 onwards up to 2019, 2020, when we actually quit. And believe you me, there is genuinely not really an issue. And I think that you shouldn't make it too big an issue, um, both internally within the business, but also in your own head, right? Because that, I think, puts a lot of pressure on it. I think there's an attitude type thing as well with the entrepreneurship where you, you're naturally going to be taking a bit of risk. You're going to have to be a bit more 
punchy, a bit optimistic, and that needs to permeate absolutely everything that you do. Now, if you work for a small law firm or a small company and you're moonlighting and going into direct competition with them, then of course, I think there's clear conflicts there. And you know that would be, I think, unethical to do without actually telling them. For example, you're doing a side business where you're, you, know, you do a bit of art or you do wedding photography. I just don't see why that would be at all an issue. So I think use your common sense and use your judgment, but it's something that is very much surmountable. Mohsin, any other thoughts on you know setting up a, a side business and what people should be doing when they go about this? Yeah, I think with the side business stuff, I think that pretty much as we were saying before, the thing to remember is that you know these things do take time. You can't, you know, depending on what it is, let's say it's a website or something, you can't expect that day one people are going to be visiting in their droves. And you know, you are gonna have to put work in, you're gonna have to speak to people around you. And that's one really big bit of advice, I think, is you know, talk to people who've been there and done it. Uh, because they can mentor you through it you know those first like two months of setting up a website where you get like five visitors or something like that and you're buzzing that you break into 10 visitors a day and you know we've been there those moments are difficult to kind of stick with in the long term but you just have to have confidence that you know these things do snowball and as long as you've got something there then you know inshallah it will do well and the key really is finding those people they might be in your own network they might be online there are online communities for people who are selling on shopify or amazon and things like that and uh, probably one of the things that i'd advise is embedding yourself in those communities so you can actually hear from the people um, how hard this actually is and they can kind of give you the moral support as well for sure the other thing i would say is try and own the full stack of your business and what do I mean by that? What I mean is if you are running a business on Instagram or you're running a business primarily on Facebook or YouTube or even Amazon fulfilled by Amazon, you are beholden to those larger organizations. You know, they control your wallet. If they decide to change the algorithm one day, as Facebook did, right? People have hundreds of thousands of fans on Facebook, but actually their reach these days is pitiable is not very much at all and at the moment linkedin is going strong instagram is going strong it's very viral because linkedin and instagram want to allow people to come onto their platform and gain lots of users but ultimately these guys will clamp down on this stuff and once they have a certain number of users they'll want to monetize and then you'll have to pay for everything and you won't get much viral reach much organic reach and the same is the case with YouTube and how, you know, something happens one day and it's just all over. The way to get around this issue is by probably a couple of things. One is by diversifying your channels of, you know, getting people onto your website or onto your product or onto your sales page or whatever it is you're driving them towards. The second is by capturing their emails and making sure that you have a robust email list because email lists are ultimately the best way in which you can have a direct relationship and contact with your audience. Without them, you're going to really ultimately struggle. So, you know, realize that early and kind of make sure that you do that. And then I think the other thing to be said around small businesses is that you should experiment because it's going to take a bit of time to 
really click on in terms of what actually works. So this is not something that you can necessarily rely on 100% to be an income generator within two, three months. It might be. The likelihood is that it's going to be something that you plug away at for about a year or two before it really starts kicking off. But then when it does, it has the potential to be much bigger than all the consultancy stuff. And you might want to do like a hybrid approach, which we did. We were doing a bit of consultancy stuff, but also working on a small business, which was, you know, IFG, although we didn't think of it as a business at the time. You could do that kind of approach where you bring in some money in one way, but you allow yourself the headroom to be able to work on things that could make more money long term. So let's turn now to our fifth strategy, which is investing strategies for income. Mohsin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I guess this is another one where it kind of needs that initial capital. But if you're somebody who, and you know, there very well may be these circumstances where if people are employed and they're being made redundant, uh, particularly if you've been with your employer for a long period of time, you may get a very, very decent uh, redundancy package. Or, you know, generally speaking, you know, for whatever reason, you may have a whole bunch of capital sat in your bank and you kind of, you know, you want to start thinking about how can I effectively uh, deploy that money so that it's not just sat in my bank, but it's actually generating some sort of income for me whilst I'm also looking at all of these other things as well. And when it comes to investments that generate an income, I think that there are some pretty classic ones. So things like a buy-to-let property, that is a very, very classic approach for using existing capital to generate a long-term income for you because the idea is that with a buy-to-let property you can put down the deposit you can get the rest on an islamic mortgage and you can pay off the islamic mortgage through the rental income that comes in and by the end of the term of the mortgage you've actually got yourself the asset fully owned fully paid for and the only capital that you ever put out there was a deposit so 20-25% or whatever it may be so that is a very classic income strategy and I guess there historically has been some debate about whether when it comes to buy to let you should go for uh, residential stuff so things that people live in houses or should you go for uh, commercial property so places where businesses will lease from you so think about for example the premises that your local takeaway is in or I don't know like a car garage or you know the actual freehold of those properties uh, where businesses are leasing from you and my opinion on this I've never really dabbled that much in property but my opinion on this has always been that commercial property is really where the strength is because the guarantees are just much better it's likely that you've got a better tenant in there somebody who's actually got a business you can get them on a fully repaired and insured lease meaning that you know you can tie them to the fact that you know they have to for example paint and decorate the place every year and that and do that with uh, residential property because there are certain laws that protect uh, tenants because of course it's you know it's human lives that we're talking about but nowadays you know with the whole covid situation maybe that's a bit different maybe people are looking to move out of commercial premises we know that there'll be a lot of small businesses that will close down etc etc so it might be time to revisit the whole residential versus commercial approach but buy to let as a blanket kind of tool is definitely something that people can consider and then i'm sure you've got some ideas as well but one other thought i had uh, ibrahim was about stocks as well you know you can pick up uh, shares on the stock market and these companies will pay you a dividend 
for you know owning those stocks. So classic dividend payers include companies like Shell, who before this year had actually never cut their dividend since World War II, but this year they actually have. And the pros of investing in stocks for dividend income that you know it's completely passive so unlike property where you kind of you need to go there you need to check on the property you may need to repair it you don't need to ever do anything with shares right you just own them and money comes in so that's definitely the big pro i guess the con is that it's slightly riskier in that you know you don't really control the company you should be checking the financial ratios to make sure they've got enough money in the bank to be paying these dividends anyway but there is still some risk there to their trading conditions and there is a risk that the dividend may be cut either by a certain amount or they might just cut it completely if they want to preserve cash so yeah those would be my two thoughts property as well as stocks i don't know if you've got any additional ones ibrahim yeah, I agree with both of those. I think what I wanted to mention here was, you know, what kind of numbers are we looking at in terms of if this is actually a viable strategy for you, particularly when it comes to stocks and day trading. So day trading is where you're going in and you're actually just trading some stocks every day and making a little bit of profit. And then hopefully over time that builds up. The first thing to be said with day trading is you're probably going to have to spend six months really, really hard work actually learning it. And even then, if you don't have the aptitude for it, they're not the right psychology for it, you might not be right for it. Not everyone can be a trader. It is possible, though. People do do it and they do do it successfully. And it is permissible as long as you're investing only in permissible assets. But when can you actually do it? So I think to do it viably the number in my head is 100,000. And the reason why I say 100,000 is because you want to be never really putting more than I think 5% of your entire portfolio into a single trade. So that gives you a maximum of five grand and probably you want to start off even less than that most of the time. And then with five grand, what you're going to see what maximum movements of five, five, 10%. So it's not like massive amounts of money. You're talking about maybe 250, 500 quid. But that's significant enough for you to be able to counteract all of the brokerage fees that you went, you paid going in and out. So like 10 quid in, 10 quid out, that's 20 quid right there. So you need to have a little bit of an investment up for it to make sense. And then you think, okay, well, I need to make about 500 to 1,000 to 2,000 a month as a side hustle to kind of make it worth it for me. And it's going to be something that I do between nine to five or nine to six. It's a bit tricky is my kind of view on all of this uh, day trading. Whereas if you do swing trading where you're holding for like a week or two weeks, that I think is more viable because you don't need to necessarily be sat at the desk between nine to five and you can actually work. But even there, I think you need a substantial amount of saving for it to make sense. I'm thinking there you probably want to have at least 20, maybe you can get away with something like 10 to 15, but I think at least 20 would make sense. And then the other thing is like, this is now income that you're going to be using up. This is a side income. So your pot of money that you use to trade won't actually grow because you're just going to be taking that money away. So you'll always be kind of stuck, you know, in this kind of rut. So my instinctive thoughts are don't try and trade your way or invest your way necessarily out of a full-time job or th think of it as a side hustle. I think property, as Mohsen said, would probably be the best option because it's so hands-off. I'm very 
conscious of the time, Mosin. But I guess the final thing to perhaps touch upon quickly is the gig economy, and then we can take questions for the last four minutes or so. So maybe if I come to you, Mosin, for a minute on the gig economy. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the gig economy, I'm sure everybody's heard of the concept, and the idea is that you know, really, truly, and simply, there for people who maybe don't have the kind of skilled profession that they can take onto a consultancy. So, you know, if you're not like a, an accountant or a lawyer or whatever it might be, pretty much anyone, as long as you can drive, can do things like Uber, Uber Eats, Deliveroo. There's also, uh, you know, a company that we came across recently called Adondo, I think it was, whereby you can basically become a call center agent, like an outsourced call center agent. And there are a whole bunch of things like this where you can basically pick it up. You might have a period of training, but broadly speaking, it's effectively a second job. And to be honest, uh, from what I understand, it, it can pay fairly decently as well. It's great if you're in a particularly tight spot and you can actually do these things, then definitely worth considering Uber and Uber Eats and all those kinds of things too. Yeah, you, you know you're doing well as a taxi driver when you have to register for VAT, which is like 70, or is it 75, 85, or something like that? Yeah, I think so. So that's, uh, you know, mashallah, our taxi drivers are doing well. So next time that Uber Eats driver turns up late, then treat him with respect anyway, because it's a good thing to do, but also know that he might well be earning more than you as well. So uh, there we are. <laughs> right, over to you guys for your questions. So Mohsen, if I go back to... A lot of businesses are selling due to COVID. What are your thoughts on this, small businesses? I guess they are. I've not particularly seen that on the market just yet. If they are, then I think that's an opportunity. I think that that's for us as buyers to understand whether that's a good purchase or not. COVID has done a lot of things. One thing it certainly has done is thrown up a lot of opportunities. So if you are in a position to buy a business which is fundamentally sound, but the seller for whatever reason is distressed, that's an opportunity as far as I'm concerned. Having said that, if it's a business which is fundamentally affected by COVID, so I don't know, I'm talking about things like, I don't know, if you're a supplier into schools or something like that, it might be one to kind of hold off on. Or maybe not, if you're particularly punchy, it might be a great opportunity as well. It's one of those, isn't it? Risk is always proportionate to reward. So it's like uh, the saying from Warren Buffett, is it the best time to be buying stuff is when there's blood on the streets or something like that yeah like the coin desk example i was giving how they became a great multi multi-million business multi-million pound business on the basis of events they were actually sold for about i think it was what was it 500k and that was a big loss for the person selling but ultimately they went on to you know do millions within the first year because they just pivoted used their existing business to then do events. So you know, there are opportunities where the previous owners might not necessarily see it. Uh, Khadija asks, what companies would be confirmed as a halal stock option? Uh, so Khadija, for this, you should check out our halal, you type in halal stock screening, Islamic finance guru on the internet, you will come across a whole load of stuff that we've done on it you know, on Google. So that's what I would recommend. But in a nutshell, yeah, it needs to be halal. What else do we have? Don Yasser asks, do you recommend eToro as a platform? I think it now does allow you to invest directly in stocks, which is good because that's permissible. But eToro as a platform, I have mixed feelings about because of their really strong links with Forex, derivatives, CFDs, dodgy practices generally, 
and you know they're not necessarily the best love from the regulator's perspective either i don't know if you're going to them for a reason such as you know they allow you to trade for cheap then i would consider alternatives like or is it trading 212 or digiro is another one uh, that you can look at as well d-e-g-i-r-o great what else do we have there's a, there's a whole load of questions now what are your thoughts on franchising mohsin what are your thoughts on franchising uh franchising is can be good i think it depends on a few things depends on the quality of the actual franchise i think if you can find a good franchise it's a great way of getting into like business owner mentality and business owner chapter in your life the only thing to bear in mind with franchising is on one hand it makes things really easy because you don't have to worry too much about branding marketing your hand is kind of held all the way through the cons of it are that you know you're going to be tied into that ecosystem and you're going to be paying a fee you know franchise fee uh, annually there'll be investment you have to make up front there'll be percentages on your sales and all that kind of thing but they can be very good investments like i know people that own uh for example you know several subway franchises and stuff like that and they're pretty hands-off uh, they just have staff managing it it's a great income for them and of course like the big big franchises so things like mcdonald's and stuff like that there are highly 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 successful people who own those so yeah franchising overall uh, i would say it's a good thing depends really on the quality of the franchise makes sense a brother was asking about whether or not there's bridge providers available if you go on our islamic mortgages page uh, you'll find some halal uh, bridging loan providers offer is the name of the company you can find the link there and lola okay asks my question is around how to access halal funds to start these business ideas ah that's the tricky one isn't it lola obviously with startups we do invest in startups that's a very different category to what we're talking about here honestly this is one that we want to be able to help people on and we're trying to work out a way to do it most effectively ourselves because we know that there's a need for this but you know we're also only two people so we can only do so much and we don't want to do lots of things and do all of them badly but i guess leave this with us we're still thinking on a way to effectively do this but in the interim lola i think that you probably got a couple of strategies one is friends and family the other one is go for a business that doesn't need that much startup capital and there are some there are many actually consultancy you know selling your services and your time and then the third is credit cards um so we're of the view that if as long as you're confident that you'll be able to sell uh, you'll be able to pay off the credit card without necessarily having to pay any interest on it then we would be comfortable for you to take that out but i wouldn't just as good practice i wouldn't recommend that as a first option by any stretch of the imagination yep ispandiar has a great idea about doing online courses for a side job is there a certain amount you can earn before registering with hmrc as self employed uh, i check on this but i think it might be a thousand pounds but check that don't take that as gospel please yeah who shouldn't look towards side income or investing i'm not sure everyone should look towards side income or investing anyone who doesn't need money mohsin what was the name of the call center side gig you mentioned i missed the name odondo i've mentioned it somewhere in the chat as well interesting guys yeah there we go uh mohammed nasir ashadi is absolutely on it He's from Boulder, uh, Oldham. He's coming across as an absolute legend. Mohsin, 
What kind of business have you bought or how much time do you spend managing each? Can it be done with a full-time job? So the business I've bought, one is like a medical supplies business that we bought from this old guy who'd kind of built it up over the last like 10, 15 years in his retirement. And the other one is a wedding favors business. My wife runs them. I don't really have any input there other than kind of uh, getting her up to speed initially, but now she's kind of running with it. So it doesn't really need me. Um, So I think the key thing with those is that if you are going to do it alongside a full-time job, either have someone running it that you know, whether that's a family member or whoever it may be, or have the systems in place such that, you know, you might need to take like a few weeks off work or something, but you're then going to employ somebody to, you know, basically take over the the day to day. And maybe you can uh, just oversee in the evenings or whatever, what's going on very much depends on the business, really. Sure. Jazakallah uh, khair for that. Is Forex not permissible? Anas, we've recently done a YouTube video on this. So do check that out. Inshallah, that will answer your questions. Uh, the answer is no, it's not permissible. Granada Communications, thoughts on Sarwan Wahid? We like them um, from a stocks perspective, solid options. You can go for DIY, do it yourself. You can go for Wahid and Sarwa, or you could go for like an in, in the middle thing where you kind of do it by yourself, but you also you know invest in funds via AJ Bell or Hargreaves Lansdowne or whatever broker you use to you know set up a, an account. What else have we got? Forex isn't with crypto is. Crypto is largely permissible. We're actually in the middle of doing a full-on guide to crypto from a Sharia compliance and investment perspective in the next few weeks. So do watch out for that. It'll be our standard kind of quite detailed guide, inshallah. So hopefully it will be very useful. Ridwan, yep, it will be available on YouTube. Um, all of the live videos stay on YouTube. Do you think properties will go down in value? So better to wait before considering buy to let. So I think when people are um, the most fearful, as Mohsen said, is probably the best time to be buying. So I think the people in the know in the property space that I know are, are looking for bargains now, but I expect there to be more bargains in Q1, Q2 next year, because that's when everyone's completely ran out of money. All the government supports completely ran out. And that's when people start defaulting and you see lots of bargains come onto the market. And property is property. I mean, it's going to ultimately is going to hold its value, even if it goes down a little bit long term. If you're investing in it for income, it doesn't really make much of a difference. All right, great. I think we better wrap it up because I'm horribly late on something else. Maybe we should be doing these more regularly, these webinars. If you guys have benefited, enjoyed this, then please do let us know by you know hitting the like button just so that you know we know that there is actually appetite for doing these webinars more regularly and we can definitely do that inshallah until next time assalamu alaikum from us and uh, do remember us in your du'as and uh, get your side incomes going and drop us a line on twitter or drop us a line on our website and let it or even in the comments below on what you get up to and we'd love to hear from the more successful people and perhaps get you guys onto the webinar or podcast yourself so that people can learn from your um, success stories, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.